You're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Welcome to the Gathering Church this morning. Like Pastor John Mark just said, my name is Robbie Denson. I'm one of the pastors here at the Gathering. And just one more time, I want to extend a welcome to all of you. You know, if you're in the room this morning, we're just so honored and grateful that you're with us. You know, one of the, one of the things that we've known from the conception of this church is that it can be overwhelming to walk into a church, especially for the first time. You don't know what these people are about. You don't know kind of what their vibe is going to be. And, and we work hard to make it feel like we were expecting you. Like we've got a cup of coffee ready for you. and We've got people just that want to welcome you. And so if it is your first Sunday, thank you so much. Maybe it's your first Sunday back in some time. We are glad that you're here today. That goes for those of you online as well. We are honored. We'd love to have you in the room, but you know, it's still a special thing for us to be able to be with you in your living room this morning, worshiping. Today, we are in the final week of a series called Relationship. And what we're talking about in this series is that oftentimes in our marriages or in our relationships, we're just one shift from being on the path to a healthy relationship. Or it may be for you, uh, you're several shifts away. Therefore, this series was three weeks long. Maybe you've got some work to do on your relationships. Sometimes these shifts that we have to make are large. Sometimes it requires us to dig in. Sometimes it requires us to put work over time to see health come into our marriages. Sometimes it's just a little shift. Sometimes it's just we need to start hearing our spouse more clearly. Last week, Pastor, uh, for week one, Pastor John Mark talked about shifting your expectations, shifting your expectations with your spouse to pursue health. Last week, we talked about shifting our strategy. And this morning's message is titled, Shift Your Order. Shift Your Order. What I've learned in 12 years of marriage, and for some of you, that's a long time. For some of you, that's a short Time, but what I've learned in 12 years that, is that it's hard to feel as though Chelsea and I are operating out of health when I'm primarily focused on me and she's primarily focused on her. You see, in marriage, we have to be willing to shift the order of our priorities. There are times, and I've been here, and sometimes we we step back into this season of relationship, right? Where it feels like we just can't get any momentum. There's no momentum. Where'd the momentum go that we had so many years ago? Or maybe it feels like you can't get any relational traction. And so maybe for you, it feels like you're waiting on your relationship to get healthy. You're waiting on your spouse to get healthy. Maybe every hurdle you jump, you look up and there's five more in front of you waiting to trip you up. A few weeks ago, Pastor John Mark talked about the disappointment gap. And, and I want to dive back into that for a minute this morning because it's a great catalyst for what we're talking about today. One of the things that I have the opportunity to do, my last job, I was a young adults pastor. And, you know, in Charleston, South Carolina, they are just getting married like rabbits. And so 
I've had the opportunity throughout the years to talk to a lot of young couples, to do a lot of premarital counseling and then post-marriage counseling and then talk to a lot of young married couples. And one of the things that I have to do so often, and, I, and it still surprises me, is, is that I, I have to wake them up to the idea that you can't just be married, right? You can't just, you can't just be in relationship. This is something I had to learn early in my marriage. You see, as amazing as I am, as, 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 as lucky as my wife is to wake up next to me each morning, to as lucky she, as she is to, to sit at the dinner table with me, with our kids, you know, to, 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 to watch my favorite show with me on the couch, it's not enough. Can you believe it? It's just, you can't just be married. Relationship and coexisting are two different things. And so often in our relationships, we make the decision to coexist. You see, God designed relationship for more than just having a mortgage together and a budget that you've put together to stress out about. See, God designed Marriage, and listen to this, he designed marriage so that we could leverage our love for one another to make a greater impact in the world in which we live. We talk a lot about purpose at the gathering, and you have a purpose, but the beauty of when you step into relationship is that God doesn't just give me a purpose and Chelsea a purpose, but he gives us a purpose. And we have an opportunity to leverage this relationship that he's ordained to make an impact for the kingdom. I, I, I grew up, I don't know how many of you were like me, but me and my sister, we would just jam out to music on the way to school. And sometimes it got a little weird. One of our favorite artists was Jack Johnson. I don't know if any of you like Jack Johnson, but he just puts me in a good mood. And he had this song called Better Together. Mm, it's always better. So I can't sing, but I'll do it. It's always better when we're together. Me and my sister, be rocking out to Jack Johnson, singing each other love songs. Just kind of went with it. But I love a good Jack Johnson song. I love that Better Together song. It just puts me in a good mood. But, you know, the truth of it is we've got this song where it just talks about the most serene, ideal relationship, right? But yet, where is it? Where's my Better Together? Because the truth is, yeah, we may be together, but the reality is, are we better See, oftentimes we struggle with what we want our relationship to look like in comparison to what our relationship actually looks like. So in other words, our ideal relationship is causing us to grow frustrated with the reality of our relationship. And so as we look at marriage and relationship this morning, it's important that we distinguish between the ideal and the real. You see, here's what the ideal says. The ideal says that because we are together, because I'm together with my spouse, my life is better. They complete me. They had me at hello. They finish my sentences. My spouse makes me a priority. They see how hard I work and they appreciate me. But the reality is that's not true for some of us, is it? Maybe you're here this morning and your relationship is not quite what you imagined it would be. And so here's the real for some of us. Is that because I'm together with my spouse, my life is, and this is, can be seasonal, my life is chaotic. 
It's stressful. There are times when I don't feel loved or valued. You see, we have to distinguish between the ideal and the, and the real. And so here's what our marriages can look like sometimes. I want to be clear this morning. We have, can I get that graphic back up? Here's what our marriages look like sometimes. We have what our marriages are and then what we want our marriage to be. And for some of us, there's a short gap, but for some of us, there's a long gap. And I call that the disappointment gap. The disappointment gap is dangerous because it slowly breaks our relationship down. This gap is where anger rests and then begins to simmer and then begins to boil. This is where frustration and jealousy and all of the things that you may feel, this is where all of those things turn into resentment. And what the enemy likes to do, what the devil likes to do is use resentment to destroy marriage and relationship. And so here's what I wanna do this morning. For just a few minutes, let's take a look at some, some principles we can implement in our lives to close the disappointment gap just a little bit. Let's take a look at shortening the gap between our ideal and our real. In Ephesians chapter five, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus about marriage. And I, I wanna pick up in verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. He goes on in verse 25 and he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And in verse 28, he continues, he says, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. So I wanna go back very quickly to that verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what we have here in this idea of relationship is equal submission. Everything else we just read is Paul bringing clarity to what it looks like for you and your spouse to submit to one another. So I wanna look at two key principles from these verses that we can apply to our lives that may be able to help us take a much needed shift in this area. And I want to preface, the key that this morning is to not to apply these principles onto your spouse. I'm real good at that. But apply them onto yourself. You know, it took me years, but I finally learned that when I better myself, when I work on myself, Chelsea's watching. She's watching and nothing makes her feel more loved and cared for when I'm doing the best I can to be the person God's called me to be. And the same is true for her. When she's working on herself, she is simultaneously working on our marriage. So in verse 21, Paul, I read it again. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the first principle I want to talk about this morning is reciprocity. Reciprocity, one word. What is reciprocity? The Webster definition says this. It says it is the practice of exchanging things with others for mutual benefit. And so think about it like this. Most of us in here have had or have a job. What happens when we give our time and we give our effort and then we give our talent to our employer? 
we get paid. We get paid. That's reciprocity. There is mutual benefit. They get the benefit of my work and I get the benefit of a paycheck. You see, we don't like it when the people around us don't reciprocate. In fact, people who don't reciprocate, it's difficult to be in relationship for a long time, isn't it? Our kids are a great example of this, aren't they? My kids are eight, nine, and 15. I'm looking, I'm looking for some affirmation here. Eight, nine, and 15. But I remember when, when Kai and Josiah were younger, it seemed like we gave and we gave and then we gave and then they took and they took and they never really gave it back. I, I remember uh, when they were four, they share a room together and you know, when they're four, they're so cute because they have that kind of like troll sounding voice. So everything they say is just so cute, right? And at night, Chelsea and I, we like to go in there and we lay the boys down and we just like to speak life into them every single night. And I remember when they were four, we were just pounding them with purpose and just pounding them with value. And I got in the bed with Makai and I said, Kai, you know, you're so special, man. And one of the things that we tell our kids so often is, you know, someday, somehow God's going to use you to change the world. Kai, how are you going to change the world? Dad, I'm going to be a scientist. I believe it, buddy. I believe in you. And I, I went over to Josiah's bed and I said, Josiah, man, you are so special and God's going to use you to change the world. And I said, Josiah, I am so proud of you. Josiah looked at me and said, thank you, Dad. And then from across the room, I hear Kai say, Dad? I said, what's up, buddy? He said, are you proud of me? I said, I thought we covered this. I said, Kai, I am so proud of you, buddy. I love you so much. And he said, thank you, Dad. And I just laying with Josiah. And then Kai said, Dad, can I tell you something? I said, yeah, buddy, you can tell me. And, you know, as a parent, you know, your kids are so young. They take and take and take. And here I am, Kai, he's about to give it back. He's, a, he's, about, he's about to tell, he's about to speak value into me. All these years of speaking value, he's about to speak it back into me. And he says, Dad, can I tell you something? If you put ice cream between two pieces of bread, you'll make an ice cream sandwich. <sighs> yeah, Kai. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> you see, in that moment, I thought Kai was about to reciprocate back to me. But my kids get a pass for a season. But the ability to reciprocate is important, isn't it? Here's, here's what I mean. How would your work feel if you wanted to put in a 20-hour week and get a 40-hour paycheck? Sometimes this is what we do in our relationships. We want the reward of a healthy relationship without the work it takes to get one. You hear that? We want the reward of a healthy relationship without the work it takes to get one. Everybody wants money, but are you willing to work for it? My old wrestling coach said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there. Are you willing to put in the work to reach what you want in your marriage? The submission that Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter five requires you and I to reciprocate, to equally submit. I want you to answer this question for yourself and maybe you need to write this down and spend some time thinking about it later. But the question is this, do I give as good as I get? Do I give 
as good as I get. I'm going to assume all of you are like me, but maybe some of you are better than me. I'm really good at getting. I'm great at it. In fact, uh, for years, my wife would uh, want me to do the five love languages test. And uh, I actually, our first year of marriage, I, I hid the book under the bed. Um, and then when we moved out, she found it and yelled at me. And so it was about a week later, I did, I did the test. And it turns out I was missing out this entire time because my number one love language is receiving gifts. And so I'm really good at getting. But the question is, is do I give as good as I get? What does that look like in our relationships? You see, when Chelsea's going through something difficult or she's made a mistake, do I give her grace? Do I show her value? I hope I do. But here's what I know for sure. When I'm going through something difficult or I've made a mistake, I expect grace from her. Why? Because I'm good at getting. Do I trust Chelsea with our finances? Do I trust her with our kids? Do I trust her to speak life into me even when I don't want to hear it? I hope I do. But here's what I know for sure. I expect Chelsea to trust me because I'm really good at getting. You cannot have relationship without reciprocity. You cannot get into relationship to get and only give and not give. You see, there are times when I find myself giving very little to Chelsea, but expecting the world from her. And so in those moments, I'm expecting her to submit to me, but I'm not willing to submit to her out of reverence for Christ. Here's another question worth asking yourself. Do you want something from your spouse that you're not willing to give? See, a lot of this, what we're talking about this morning, requires a level of self-awareness. It requires a level of you to stop thinking about them and focus in on you and get honest with yourself about yourself. Do you want something? It's easy to point out what my spouse is not giving me. Those are glaring to me. But am I expecting something from her that I'm not willing to give to her? Love, respect, value, time. It could be that your spouse is telling you the very thing they need from you. Are you willing to give it to them? You see, reciprocity is a, is a principle we see in the gospel. Why do we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Paul is recognizing that Jesus gave his life for him. And so in return, he's going to reciprocate. He's going to give his life for Jesus. Paul is acknowledging what God did by sending Jesus to the cross. He is reciprocating back to God. And you know, you may be thinking this morning, and don't raise your hand. And if you have, just, you may be thinking this morning, Robbie, I hear you, but you don't know what, who I'm living with. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know the anger that's resting in my home. You don't know the frustration. You don't know the challenges I'm facing in my relationship. And I, I, want, you to, I want you to hear this. God will not ask you to do something for someone else that he hasn't first done for you. Right? 
That's what Paul's saying. The life that I now live in the body, it was mine, but now I live it by faith in the Son of God. Why? Because he loved me and he gave himself up for me. And so it's easy for me to point out that, that my spouse is angry with me. And so I can't give her, I can't give her what, I, what she needs from me. And I just imagine God sitting up in heaven, waiting, just kind of, he's got Jesus in the batter's box and he says, when they're willing to love me, I'll send you out there. No, that's not, that's not, that's not, what, that's not what God did. That's not what God did. He gave and he gave and he gave. And for some of us this morning, he's continuing to give to you. And what have you given to him? We'll talk about that just a little bit later. We give to our spouse and to those around us out of reverence for Christ because he first gave to us. We give grace and we give hope and we give forgiveness because God gave us these things first. And this is bigger than your marriage. It's bigger than relationship. So when, when we live this principle out, when the world looks at us and it says, why are you giving me so much? Why is it that you view me and value me the way you do? We can point to Jesus and say, because he has given so much to me. Yeah, you're a jerk sometimes, but so was I. And Jesus went to the cross. I give to you because I was first given to and so I want to just, this is so practical. It's a spiritual principle that can be practiced so practically. It just takes one question. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Every single day, Chelsea, what can I do for you? Sometimes she just needs me to stop. Actually, four times out of five days of the week, I got to stop on the, at the grocery store on the way home. What can I do for you? Or this weekend, I said, Chelsea, what can I do for you? And she said, I need you to clean out the garage. Oh. Yesterday, I cleaned out the garage. And you know what? I was nervous the whole time because it's not, it's not, it's, it's I got to meet her expectation, not mine, because I thought it was clean. <laughs> right? But sometimes it, it, it goes deeper than that, right? Because, hey, Chelsea, what can I do for you? And, and we, this was a season of our life. Hey, Chelsea, what can I do for you? Well, Robbie, you don't, Honestly, you don't seem healthy. Robbie, you seem on edge. You seem frustrated. What's going on? Talk to me. And, when, and, and whether she's asking me to clean the garage or whether she's asking me to dig into myself a little bit, I've got to be willing to do that, to submit to her. You know, there was a season where she was dead on and, and, and then she said, Robbie, I said, Chelsea, well, what can I do for you then? And she said, well, I need you to come to counseling with me. No, Chelsea, you're messed up. <laughs> Not me. And it just wasn't true. You see, you can't just be married. You can't just be in relationship. You've got to be willing to give as good as you get. And sometimes our spouses need us to get better, to get better. And so when I ask, what can, so I, when I ask what, I, what, what can I do for you, I've got to be willing, ask the question ready to say yes. So I just want to challenge you for this next week, this, this, this next week, look at your spouse every single day, whether you're leaving for work, heading home, call them in the middle of the day and say, is there anything I can do for you? And once you ask the question, be willing to follow through. Try it for just a week and just see if this adds value to your relationship. Let's look at our second principle this morning. The second and last principle 
to help us with submitting to our spouse. Um, the, the second principle is sacrifice. I have never been able to talk about relationship without talking about sacrifice. Uh, that going back to premarital counseling and, and all this opportunity I have, some of you are actually in the room right now. I love talking about sacrifice. What is sacrifice? Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. You see, we oftentimes have a really weak version of sacrifice that we're willing to live with. Yeah, I woke up early to help you with the kids. I sacrificed. Or, hey, I left work early for, to help you do, do this or that, and I'm sacrificing for you. That's a weak, it's giving up something you love for something you love more. No one models this better for us than Jesus. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus show us what it looks like to sacrifice. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus takes three of his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a garden at the foot of Mount Olives in Jerusalem. He brings his three disciples into the garden and he asks them to wait for him because he's going to go further in to pray. And at this point in scripture, Jesus is, just for some context, he's a few hours away from being betrayed. He's going to be taken into custody to his eventual crucifixion. And Jesus knows that his betrayer is on the way and he's soon to be sent to the cross and he just needs a moment to be with God. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 26. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little, little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. And he said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. It's the most beautiful moment in scripture. The beauty of Jesus, and we see it here more than anywhere else in scripture, it says my soul is overwhelmed to the, to, the, to the point of sorrow. I've never seen Jesus be more human, be more like me than in this moment. But while he's 100% man, he's 100% God. He is afraid of what's about to happen to him. He's about to be sent to trial, brutalized, hung on a cross and eventually, and this is, this is, Jesus is afraid, he's fearful of the pain, but in the moment of his death, he's separated from his father and he doesn't want to be separated from his father. And he's just saying, God, if there's any other way for this to happen, I love your people, you love your people, I want them to have a relationship with you, but if there's any other way for this to happen, let it be. And listen to what he says, I'll read it again. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And this is the moment of sacrifice. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Not what I want, but what you want. You see, Jesus gave up something he loved, his life, for something he loves more, my life in your life. 
That's what sacrifice looks like. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. And in that moment in the garden, Jesus was teaching us the cost of love. You see, you can't just be in relationship. It's gonna cost you something. As great as you are, you ain't great enough to sustain health in your relationship without being willing to put in the work. What would happen if you began to love your spouse more than you love yourself? What if their dreams became your dreams? What if over time, as you, as you live out these principles of reciprocity and sacrifice, what if you put that over time and then it's not her dreams and your dreams, but what if it's y'all's dreams? What if, these, what if God has a purpose for your marriage? These alignment of purpose, this alignment of passion. I remember Chelsea and I, I don't know, like 14 years ago, sitting in my Mazda 3, my 2004 Mazda 3. I thought I was hot stuff. It cost me so much I had to move back in with my family because I couldn't pay rent. <laughs> I thought I was cool. We sat outside of the church I was working at at the time and we were dating and we just started to talk about our dreams. And, you know, I love talking about my dreams and I just sat and listened to her and I just heard her share her dreams of the way her childhood was and how it, it wasn't what she wanted. It wasn't, it, it was rough. It was rough. And I heard her heart tell me that she wants to give to children what she didn't have. And I just sat and listened and I thought this, I don't, I don't know how to relate to this because I, I love my parents and they were great to me. And at the time, Chelsea just didn't have that relationship. She does now, but she didn't have that relationship. And I just heard her heart telling me, I want to be the mom I didn't have. I want you to be the dad I didn't have for, for kids. And I just remember thinking, I, I wanna make that happen for you. I want, I, I'm willing to take up that banner for you. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. And then years would go by and we were sitting at Perfectly Frank's in Somerville, South Carolina, eating hot dogs. And that her dream of becoming a great parent somehow melded into our dream of making a difference in children's lives and adoption became a part of our journey. But it's like I was sitting there eating that hot dog with macaroni and cheese and bacon on top. And it just, in that moment, it was like adoption. And it was, she didn't have to convince me and I didn't have to convince her. And God just moved over years of reciprocity and sacrifice. And all of a sudden we had this purpose and this dream that came together. And, and God said, this is how you're gonna do it. This is how you're gonna, this is your purpose. This is how you're gonna make a difference. We left there and went straight to the adoption office. My point is this. I'm just convinced that if you make the choice to sacrifice for the sake of your spouse, they would be compelled to reciprocate. I just, I don't believe it, I know it. <laughs> I just know it. You see, these ideas of reciprocity and sacrifice are some of the building blocks to submission. You can't do submission without these things. So just imagine with me for just a moment what our marriages would look like if we began to take steps in these directions. Some of us, we need a shift so we can get our relationship on a path towards health. So that we can get our, and here's, here's my goal. 
so that we can get our relationships on a path towards our purpose. Yeah, pursue health. But I promise you, if you shoot past health and you pursue your purpose, you'll find health on the way. I'm just convinced of it. I'm convinced of it. Let's pray this morning. You know, we talk about reciprocity. And I will say I did lie to you a little bit. Because I expect my wife to love me. You know, when when we met, I kind of didn't start liking her until she started liking me. But there's one relationship where how unwilling you are to give, it doesn't matter. God is looking at you this morning. Regardless of your sin from yesterday, regardless of your mistakes in your past, you've got nothing to offer him this morning. You feel unworthy, you feel invalidated to be pursued by Jesus. But God doesn't need reciprocity like I do. He loves you. He pursues you. And he gave, the the Bible tells us is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this morning, maybe you need to receive Jesus into your heart. And if that's you this morning, just say this prayer with me. You can say it quietly. Jesus, this morning, thank you that while I've never been able to offer much to you, you offered everything to me and I receive it this morning. Thank you for sending your son to the cross to die for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, that in that moment when you could have turned away, you said, yet not as I will, but your will be done. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. I receive you into my heart. I receive you into my life. I wanna know you so that I can find freedom. Discover my purpose and make a difference. Jesus, I receive you into my heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. The Gathering Church Podcast is produced by the Gathering Church creative team. Want to get involved? Fill out a connect card online at gatherashville.org. Find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.